Here we go. I'm dripping off the slow. Lights out. Here we go. It's quite the basic. Ask not what your voice can do for you. Yay! Yay! It's the Yay. Ox <laughs> That's one way to start. Um, <laughs> yeah, we haven't started that way welcome yet. Welcome to the Hoss The Boys. Wiggles, inspired by the Wiggles. <laughs> All-American Formula One podcast about Haas. I am Max. To my left, I got Parker. Hi, I'm Parker. And on my right, I got Mike. Hi, my name is Mike. What's welcome. Michael. Yeah, we want to get started today. We have a lot to talk about every week. We have lots to talk about. This week, we have some questions from listeners. We have the DeMonaco Grand Prix to talk about. Yeah. A lot happened at the Monaco Grand Prix. Let's start off with just a quick recap. So where is the standings right now after the race finished? I have two main bullet points I think I want to talk about for Monaco. So, first off, what was the finishing order? We had Sergio Perez at one. It was cool to see Sergio take his first Monaco Grand Prix. I mean, anyone who wins Monaco, you go down in history. Your name is etched into the the archives yeah. as a Monaco yeah. Grand Prix winner. So, really cool to see him go from not having a job and not long ago, no mm. promise of a future career in F1. Living in to, his parents' basement, no job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> no from prospects. racing point to... Red Bull and end up winning a Monaco Grand Prix. So super cool. Yeah, I guess it's like the the Augusta. Like if you win Augusta or Pebble Beach in golf. Right. That's like Monaco. Well, and it's one of the crown jewels, right? One of the triple crown. So if you win Monaco, then your next is just Le Mans and Indy 500. Now, I don't know if that's on mm-hmm. Sergio Perez's list, but it's still one of the three cool. most important races you can win. He's got 110 points He's in the Drivers' Championship. off of the lead. Which is crazy. Off yeah. of Max, yeah. He is the most sleeper F1 driver. Big time. Like, I don't get it. He he mm. is such a champ. Right. He has no press. Right. The mm. guy has no hype, but he is one of the most consistent deliverers in yeah. F1 of anybody. Yeah. So in the driver standings, he's surrounded by Sainz. Sainz is lower than him. Lando's lower than him. Hamilton's lower than him. Leclerc is just above him. Verstappen just above him. Lower than him. And it's just so it's just crazy to look at all of those names <laughs> mm. and compare the amount of press and like clout mm. that yeah. these other drivers have. And then see Sergio, who's like, yeah, he's like a sleeper. And great to see him win, especially after the last weekend right. being told to give position to Max. Yeah. Basically give up the win because of strategy yeah. in air quotes. Uh it was kind of nonsense and we all knew it just to the people around him and stuff it's it's interesting he's definitely been flying under the radar but consistent yeah and now he's really in the hunt for this thing so yeah. them robbing him of the spanish gp is going to be interesting how mm. this season plays out yeah. now nice little moment between he and max at park for may yeah like genuine congratulations between max and sergio so go sergio he's at 110 points for the championship uh, yeah, so Sergio uh, in first, followed by Carlos and Verstappen. Obviously, both Haas's uh, retired for various reasons, unfortunately. That leaves us with Max leading the championship at 125, Leclerc at 116, and Sergio at 110. Crazy. And that kind of ties into the first bullet point I had was both of Haas's DNFs. We didn't really see Magnussen's DNF, but we saw Schumacher's, and it was huge. Pretty ugly. Yeah, and so that's the second time this year that he's had an accident where the gearbox and the chassis have separated. It was a gnarly looking wreck. Pretty pretty large impact. And I think something that a lot of the reports have been that Gunter has given Schumacher his first warning, saying like, no, no more of that. Watching it, it I <clears throat> maybe you can tell me what you think happened to Mick's car. Did he hit a little water spot? Because he was seemed like he was on the racing line, and then he was just sideways. It seemed like he just goosed it and lost it. I think, you know, only the telemetry will tell. And I think based off of Gunter's reaction, there might be more to that story than we can visually see. What was his reaction? Gunter just said that it was he was offering him his first warning. No more, no more accidents. So essentially like i said second time he's had the gearbox separate from the chassis but i think that what happened was just a miscalculation over driving in a mm-hmm. circumstance where 
you have slicks on, you can't really push it. Mm. You got to be on the dry line. You got to be driving as precise as you can and drive within your limitations. Let the strategy be the way that you take advantage in Monaco and don't take unnecessary risk. And so I think that's why Gunter is probably having that reaction is that it's like, what were you gaining by stepping a little over the line? Up until this point, I feel like we've kind of held Mick Schumacher in this light where he can't do anything wrong. And no matter what he does, we're going to love him. Yeah. It seems like Gunter, he's a bit of a strict daddy. Yeah. And maybe this is just a, a, a feeling in the paddock right now, but I feel like a few team principals have started to take that kind of more aggressive tone mm-hmm. with their drivers and Daniel being one of them and Mick yeah. being the other. Again, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I think that this is the first time we've heard Haas really be hard on Mick. Well, that's interesting. It's probably good. Could be a good thing. It could, you know, it depends. Some drivers answer well to it, some mm-hmm. don't. <laughs> and why did Magnuson not finish? They didn't show it. He just all of a sudden was standing on the side of the track. There's <laughs> power unit issue that we yeah. don't know yet. Yeah, they said something about overheating, which is unfortunate yeah. on a race where it was raining. Both DNFs from Haas, which is too bad. Yeah. The other bullet point I wanted to talk about was Charles Leclerc, Chucky Clerk, and the bad strategy call by Ferrari. Just never ends with them, does it? Yeah, why? And I mean, this is kind of what we want to talk about in a second is strategy and how that plays into the sport. Yeah. But this is a horrible example of good strategy. It was, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a horrible example of good strategy. Whereas you can have a really good example of bad strategy, and that's yeah. how you win championships. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I so, live my life by that. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Be a really good example of a horrible strategy. <laughs> <laughs> that should be a t-shirt. We should, we should make a Ferrari t-shirt that says a horrible example of good strategy. <laughs> Ferrari has, this has just been their Achilles heel for the last decade. Just dumb calls. They just can't seem to figure this out. Hmm. And when Sebastian was on the team, it wasn't uncommon to hear him come over the radio and tell them, this is what we're doing. We're running this strategy. Is it Bonotto? Who, what's the issue? It's not his job though. So as much as Bonotto is in charge of drivers and all the other dynamics and hiring the right people, there is a strategist on the team and there's a strategist for each car. And that strategist works with the engineers mm. to make sure that they are correct and the fastest race that they can accomplish. Huh. But Ferrari just seems to have had re- a really hard time with this role. And Carlos argued. Yeah. And Carlos ended up second in the yeah. race because he argued. Yeah. And wow. Charles and, didn't. And, and w- walk us through that step by step, what happened and how the arguing yeah. got him to second. Yeah. Well, like, what so, happened to Charles too? Yeah. Like they double pitted him. Double pitted him. And so they put him on intermediate tires. Yeah. And did that too soon. So it's like he what? he went out on intermediate intermediates. Was right. he still in the lead at that point, right? He was, but he would had dropped his position in running order, knowing mm-hmm. that everyone else needed to pit. But the what was it? Like the next lap they all came in for slicks. Ugh. And so they had to pit him again or else he was going to be a sitting duck on intermediates. He has to do a double stop and or a, and also a double stack stop. So he has to wait for Carlos's stop to be done Yeah, for him to get his tires changed. So it was just a disaster. And quite an unusual call to bring in your number one as the guinea pig for right. the entire track. And Carlos, again, he argued. So when they called him in to say, we're going to intermediates, he says, leave me out. I'm going to slicks. I'm yeah. going from wet to slicks. Yeah. There's no intermediate. Yeah. Why yeah. waste time when the track is drying up so quick? Yeah. Right. And everyone's switching so quick. And right. no reports of coming rain. And so they botched the strategy. Carlos ends up being second, which was the best he could do because he had a really bad outlap. He got stuck behind a Williams on his outlap. And so Perez ended up getting the lead. Walk us through what an outlap is. Yeah, so an outlap is, uh, by definition, is the first lap that you do on fresh tires. So right after the pit stop, you're going to scream as fast as you can. Warm up the tires. And make sure that the guy who's pitting after you doesn't have any kind of advantage because on his in-lap, if his in-lap is quicker than your out-lap, then you can be overtaken in a pit stop. And essentially, Perez's in-lap was faster than Sainz's out-lap because he got stuck behind somebody. Perez ended up leader. 
Uh, I think it was Albon, actually. Oh, it was Albon. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a good chance it was a Williams. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It was either one or the other. One of, one of the Williams. The Latifi is the good call, but yeah. on the rare occasion, it's the Albon. It could. 50-50 shot. But it was a Williams. <laughs> we know that. We'll put it this way, too. If, if someone defended well enough to keep him behind for that long, it probably was Albon. Yeah. Hey. So, yeah, I mean, it was just a shame. Like, yeah. Leclerc, that was Ferrari's job that was all in their hands to lose that race yeah and they had the win they had the pole position and charles did everything he needed to he did to win crash. that race yeah <laughs> but he also had a, a pole position lap that was four tenths faster than everyone else's lap he was crushing it four tenths that is a massive gap mm-hmm. and then to, to get to sunday and be defeated over a bad pit strategy is i understand his frustration it's unbelievable mm-hmm. it's his home track hometown just the curse yeah we don't need to or we need to not forget that ferrari is not the best managed team and they've they've had really poor results Mm. for a long time and we've been doing they've been doing really well this season but they're still that team from the past three years (laughs) so let's that's a good transition so let's talk about strategy um and how that plays a part in the race um, there's things like one stops and two stops. What you're smirking, Parker? You're like, mm, what? What do you want well, to say? Well, the strategy is to get is to win. You ah. want to get. You want to be the first guy. <laughs> is that? I'll take this, Mike. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go. You want to be the. You want to be the first guy across the line. After, Mike, just shut up. Yeah. We know the race car. Get your drink in. You have to <sighs> be yeah. the fastest. Yeah. I get this. You want to be the first guy across the line after you've completed all the necessary laps uh-huh. in the race. So some races max have like seventy seven <laughs> have like seventy seven laps. This is the Mercedes debrief for the last to, eight you years. You have to check off. Listen, there's you have to a little... check off everyone and they keep a little pen there's in a the pen guy's and car. A notepad in the cockpit. And they just and you'll look, you'll see they come, they click it. And then they mark on, they check off lap one, and then they do that for all 77 laps. And then whoever's the first one across that has their paper filled out. (laughs) They're waving it. They need to get it verified and stamped. They win. (laughs) When you see them hanging over the fence, cheering at their driver at the checker flag, they're holding that. Yeah, they're saying, don't forget your paper. (laughs) And they hand it off. Now, lesser known thing is some guys have not won because they didn't put their name on it. Remember Vettel? Vettel, that one. Vettel didn't put his name he on finished, it. Finished, was on the podium, and didn't put his name on the paper. <laughs> <laughs> they took him off that podium so yeah, fast. Or used a number one pencil instead of a number two pencil. That's a good. Uh, anyway, yeah. that's a topic for another. Yeah. Uh, what's your next question? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, strategy. Yeah. Basic strategies, one stops, two stops, maybe three stops. Yeah. And has there been bonkers examples of really unique, cool strategies in the past that have just worked out real well for teams? Like a simple one-stop strategy, basically in every race, and I think just to simplify it really fast, you have to run two different tire compounds. So to refer back to a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how they bring an allotment of different tires each weekend, and they're marked in different colors. And your white is hard, yellow is medium, and red is soft. And over the course of the race, you have to run a full set of tires, all four, in one of those two colors. So you have to do two different tire compounds. You have to switch at least once. So there has to be at least one pit stop, and that is the rule. And it is four tires, not for fuel, because Formula One cars, because of the hybrid technology, can do an entire race on one tank. And they've done away with fuel. So this is just a tire strategy call. So for one-stop strategies, a lot of the time they'll start on a medium compound because the medium will last a good while and still have a good amount of grip and then switch to a hard tire, which can do majority of the race. So a soft is really grippy. You can go really fast, wears out quick. A hard Obviously, a harder tire will last a lot longer, less grippy, harder to warm up, and then medium is right in the middle. Right. The strategy basically plays into how to make that fast. So the strategist is in charge of factoring all the things that you can strategize, or at least factor. So what is the track temperature? What are the lap times looking like? Based on our testing in the past, what does that degradation look like? How fast does that tire fall off a cliff and become a complete 
you're running over tar in Mario Kart tire. Mm. Having that information, they will then make the call on, okay, at lap 25, the medium is garbage, and we need to run 40-some-odd laps or 50 laps on the, on the hard. So that's how they'll do that, and they'll base it on, again, that information of what they've seen in the past, what they saw in practice sessions, what the temperatures are like, and so on. So one stop is basically just one pit stop, and you want to time it correctly, and you want to do, like we were talked about, an in and an out lap as fast as you can. So that way you don't get somebody who undercuts you, which means that they pit before you, and get those fresh tires, and then set a blistering lap while you go in and do your pit stop. I think like a good rule of thumb is like it takes 20 seconds-ish yeah. to go into the pit, get new tires, and get out onto the track. And so like when I'm watching the race... I'm thinking like, oh, when someone gets plus 20 ahead of the person behind them, then they have enough room to go in for a pit stop and not lose their position. And and sometimes you can gauge that. It's like, oh, they have a free pit stop at their disposal because they're 25 plus seconds ahead of the person in seventh, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the time, that's what they'll do when they want fastest lap of the race. They've got that 20 second gap and they'll duck in and just throw on a pair of softs just to secure that and make sure it's theirs. But a lot of the time, the strategy evolves throughout the race. So you can have several plans. Mm. And so you'll hear them come over the, the radio and say plan A, plan B, plan C, and that's sticking to your different strategies. Now, only the team knows what plan A means. So you can assume that if they say like, the two stop is going to be the fastest strategy this weekend, we expect that that plan A is probably a two-stopper. But Red Bull has been known to throw a lot of curveballs. What was their funny plan name? Or the, the one everyone was trying to guess? That the Queen knew about. The yeah. Multi-21? Yeah. Multi-21. I assume you know. Yeah, so well, I mean, so every team has code words for all sorts of things, but Multi-21 was Red Bull's code word for let your teammate pass you. Oh. Uh, for team orders. Mm. And not having that controversy hit the airwaves. And what happened with the Queen, Parker? So Christian Horner met with the Queen, and the que- and the Queen uh, asked after every race. You do after yeah. every race, they all meet with the Queen wherever <laughs> they are in the world. They fly home <laughs> to meet with the Queen, and she asked Christian what Multi Twenty One was during uh, their meeting because it was super controversial, and everyone heard it come over the radio waves, mm-hmm. and then following the race in the cool down room. Mark Weber's rubbing his hair with a towel and he's sweaty and he says, Multi 21, Seb. Mm-mm. Multi 21. <laughs> How come you didn't do it, Seb? And, and that was broadcast? And it was broadcast. Oh, that's good. And so Sebastian just didn't let him pass. And so <laughs> anyways, it was a bit of a debacle. But yeah, the the queen was grilling <laughs> Christian. I love that. What, what, is, what does Multi 21 mean? Yeah. So there's lots of variations in strategies. A few races ago, like we saw George Russell holding out, hoping for a safety car. Right. Like that's always a gamble where, because a safety car pretty much gives you a free pit stop. Right. Everyone slows down. So that 20 seconds. It's beginning to sound like a board game. <laughs> the way that, that all the little things we're talking about, or your friends are trying to explain a board game to you and they're just going through a thousand rules. Oh, but they're safety cars. And sometimes you need to hold out for a safety car because if the safety car comes, everybody bunches up. <laughs> That's it's like no, playing it's, Settlers it's, for the first time, yeah. right? <laughs> just like a thousand different rules. Yeah. No, but I, I think that that's a good point. I mean, again, kind of strategy evolves throughout a race and there's reasonable doubt right or a reasonable uh, like you can assume it the miami gp that something could happen it's a brand new racetrack nobody's kind of windy in a street circuity yeah there's and they've had accidents all weekend long there's a good chance that somebody's going to crash so if you hold out a hope that strategy could pay off but it could also bite you. So there's definitely two sides to the, mm. you know, the side of the table or two sides of the card here that could really, really benefit you. And like you said, it's just a big gamble. Interesting. Has there been any like really cool strategies you remember from yeah. ancient F1 days? Ancient, yeah. Yeah, when they were, Flint, Fred Flintstone's team was running. You know, one that I found really interesting and in, in kind of, uh, it, it, we've seen it this year actually. So it's just a similar story to Albin's 
pit stop in Australia that was on the last lap where he lasted the entire race on one set of tires. Crazy. And then changed him on the last lap and was able to finish 10th and swing a points finish for Williams, wow. which was killer on his debut. Or no, I guess not debut, but you know, third race of the year this year. Yeah. Any day Williams gets some points. Is a big deal, right? So that was first of mine, you know, top of mind yeah. at least because it was so recent. But similarly, Sebastian Vettel did the same, uh, excuse me, Sebastian Vettel. Sebastian Vettel. <laughs> Sebastian Vettel. Uh, a quick burst right. concurrent. So Sebastian Vettel was, uh, in 2010, had a kind of a rough race going for him, but he did the same thing. He ran the entire race on one set of tires. Yeah. Changed him on the last lap. And then was able to finish fourth. Dang. Now here's why this is important, okay? Because in that race, that wouldn't that didn't seem very. Epic. I don't know why, but I am really excited for this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you What's he gonna say? I kind of like psyched myself up for this. <laughs> Here it is. You ready for the whopper? Yeah. Yeah. Sebastian won the championship by four points at the end of the year. Oh my gosh! So if they had played the strategy wrong, those points might have cost against him and given Fernando Alonso the championship. Wow. Ooh. I love that. So And they both have been tied at three. Right. Yeah. So a clever... And then they'd have to go to the rock, paper, scissors method. <laughs> Which is why... <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> Lewis can't do that with Michael Schumacher. <laughs> <laughs> For a lot of reasons. And that's why he wants to win another championship. He yeah, has to like, do it in the car and he can't do it. Like I can't win this the Rock, traditional paper, way. Yeah. yeah but I mean, if if you're on hards, those generally last longer. Yes. Right. What is the max re- recommended lap count for hards? Just do it every race if it's worked. It's an unanswerable question mm, because the unknown of F1, the mm. hard tire. Now we're getting down to the core. Yes. The, the theology. Yes. yes. Oh. <laughs> the deep doctrine of F1, brought to you by Haas boys. <laughs> What is the true meaning of hard tire? <laughs> the hard compound, it changes each week, right? So it's one of the C1 through C, you know. C137. So the hard tire from one race could be the medium, the medium tire for, for a previous another race. race. Yeah. yeah. So oh, okay. So that's, a, that's part of the reason why it's a variable. Mm. The teams know better than I would based on which one of the Cs the tire is actually. But, uh, and again, it, and temperature what kind of grip level the track has if it's super abrasive surface or it's really smooth interesting so it isn't a guarantee to work each week but you can always bank on that it is going to be the longest lasting tire because that's why it is considered the hard tire Mm. that was sick (laughs) i love that story that was a good story so mike do you have any other cool strategy stories so in 2017 2017 was the year that Sebastian got really close, the closest anyone came before Max to taking a championship away from Mercedes. In the turbo hybrid era. Yeah. A lot. Not just a little bit. A lot of what cost him the championship was strategy. It was just Ferrari blowing it and Mercedes outfoxing them on pit stops. And then Sebastian would lose the lead, Lewis would win the race, and... They were further behind in the championship. What does it come down to? Like, so we have a lot of failures we can draw from at Ferrari. We have a lot of successes we can draw from at Red Bull and Mercedes. Could you boil it down to a fundamental difference between, say, Ferrari and Mercedes and Red Bull, who have historically, you know, they have their foibles, yeah. Mercedes more than Red Bull? Right. If you could boil it down, is it the response time? Is it the planning ahead? Is it that they're putting these guys on tires, you know, on guinea pig tires too quickly? Are they too conservative, too liberal? Like, I think that Haas this year, actually, if we would tie it back to our favorite team here, I think yep. Haas has been thinking too hard. I think what that if mean? they had done more idiot-proof strategy and kind of stuck to some more generic ideas, mm-hmm. I think they would have had more points fish- finishes by now. Okay. But then again, some of it is reaction time to, to your point. And we're talking about 15 seconds. You have to One be aggressive. One guy comes in yeah. and then he's on his outlap. He's coming around to the pit 
And if you miss like that- Like box now, and your team has to be ready with a set of tires, and it has to be the right choice. Yeah, so I mean, I think that in the past, what we've seen is we've seen that Ferrari comes up with a plan, and they're really sticking to it, which is something that can bite you. And yeah. Mercedes has been very adaptive. You have to be, you have to be improvisational. Right, and especially- well, and if you know that you're going to, you know that the deficit that you need to overcome is that 20 seconds, will that tire be able to get you that 20 seconds back? Yeah. So if you go for three stops and Ferrari only went for two, you have an additional 20 seconds to overcome. And at Monaco, that's a horrendous task. Right. But at like somewhere like we'll say Monza or we'll yeah. say somewhere like Baku or one of these tracks where you could get a big enough gap, that 20 seconds, if it's all clean air, mm -hmm. you can do it. Those tires are going to be at their peak mm. after those 20 seconds. And you're going to go wheel to wheel with somebody who's on really old tires. That's kind of what happened with Max and Lewis at the end of the championship last uh, year. Last year, right. Yeah. Those are those, and Red Bull was aggressive. They said, yeah. Max, it's our last shot. Come in, let's take tires. And Mercedes went for the safe bet yeah. and said, Lewis, stay out. We don't need to answer that. Mm-hmm. And cost him the race. <laughs> what so, a race. Big risk takers. It, in, in a lot of cases, reward. Mercedes isn't the ones who are sleeping on that kind of idea, uh -huh. though. They had no idea Latifi was going to crash into a barrier. I mean, you got to factor that in. That's you do. like a variable that you should have in your formula now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you have your book of like... We have the one-stop strategy plus a Latifi. <laughs> yeah. It's the L variable in the formula. There should be a pretty accurate algorithm by now of like when he's going to crash. Yeah. Is it between lap 30 and 45 or where If is we get it? an L at the first 30 laps versus the last 30 laps. Yeah. Plan L. Plan L. I would, and then boom, in the wall. Boom, he's in the wall. Plan L. <laughs> you just see him going to the wall, and then you hear Plan L, Plan L. <laughs> okay, and that's a great example, actually. Like, there's tons <laughs> of those examples from not so much this season, but last season, especially where somebody crashes, mm -hmm. and these guys have 20 seconds to make a call that will win or lose the race. Right. And I can't come up with any right now, but it's such a familiar thing to me where one guy went out, one guy went in after before the safety guard got called and that I mean it was just Lewis and Max, but that or made the do race. Do you mean when Lewis was at the grid by himself? Oh, yeah. yeah do you guys remember that? That's, that's, a, that's a perfect example, yeah. Everyone pitted for tires except for Lewis. Yeah. And he just lines up on the grid by himself. And yeah. it's like, guys. Perfect example. Because, <laughs> and, and if I recall, that was his choice. I think so. That, I think his team told him to box and he. I think he'd already passed or something. No, I think he did a little one of these, like, yeah. almost went in and then bailed and said too late or something yeah it was a joke about the board game thing but it really is that way like so many factors it makes sense why they're paying somebody probably two hundred thousand pounds a year to just make those decisions and here's what it is and i think it's kind of a if then flowchart. like i know that that kind of sounds oh, okay. a little bit nerdy yeah, yeah but no. it's like now if, you're speaking my language if <laughs> I've been really lost this whole conversation. <laughs> if a safety car happens between laps 20 to 30, we stay out. If it comes between 30 and 45, we come in. Now that you're saying it like that, I'm like, oh, that's easy. Right. Why is it that they're having these arguments over the radio when a safety car comes? Shouldn't this guy, who again is probably getting paid 200,000 euros box a year. Now. Why yeah. is it like, um, well, uh, uh, no, 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 stay out, no, box. It's like, shouldn't he have that down? The rain got on the flow chart, it smudged. My flow chart! <laughs> he wiped the sweat from his brow and realized that all of his notes were on the palm of his hand. Yes. He really oh, wiped. No. And Bonotto's right there, and he's like, uh, box, box. No, stay out. Stay Damn out. Oh, too late. <laughs> that meme of like the superhero that is trying to press a, one of the buttons. Yeah. 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 Just sweating. <laughs> That's Ferrari every race. Every race. Box now, stay out. <laughs> yeah. Just any wiping and nervous sweat from his brow that had his, his notes hand or with his notes hand. And now that I think of it like that, like, yeah, shouldn't this guy who it's his only job is to make those decisions 
shouldn't he pretty much have this locked at the beginning of every lap? Right. At the beginning of every lap, you know, he's got three choices. If some something happens, he comes in. Yeah. If X happens, this comes in. And so why I I guess yeah. it might be a TV thing, but I wonder why it's such a fight every time where it's like, uh, I mean, we're having some blah blah blah. <laughs> and it's like, are you surprised? Like basketball there's like, coaches and football coaches every play, they're right there. Every yeah. possession. Yeah. Right. It's yeah, that's a good and question. They just flip a page, and it's like, okay, this is what we're gonna <laughs> well, do. So I, think I, just that, wa- I just wonder what's I going mean, on. All the speed is in the car, so the speed on the sideline, the mental speed, speed <laughs> to work through plays is gone because they put <laughs> yeah. it in the engine. Well, <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I think about it this way too. It's like a driver when you you know when you're driving the line and you see the driver's heads, they're on the exit. Now, or they're eyeballing the next corner before they're even through it, so you know? The so the strategist has to be uh, that lab, way. Now, here's my theory. Here's my theory. This my theory is good. <laughs> it's pretty simple. I wish it was deeper because <laughs> now I've set a okay. lot, a set of really high Let's expectations. See. My theory is there's too many cooks in the kitchen. Uh, so yeah, you don't have to convince any of us of that. Yeah. I've been to a restaurant. <laughs> I've been in plenty of kitchens. <laughs> There was tons of cooks. In if there. they don't have a very clear sous chef, things get out of hand. Okay. They, they do, and so. But I do okay. think that like the team principal and some of these engineers yeah. start stepping on toes. Simplest answers. You know what? It, that's a, that's an awesome way to put that. In my twenties, I worked in a lot of professional, top-notch kitchens. So Olive Garden. Uh not quite Olive Garden. More of like a JCW's. Okay, yeah, that's top notch. But it's up there for those of you who don't know that that's a very good burger shake joint. Um. Oh yeah. Could I have picked a a less recognizable? (laughs) (laughs) Do you know why I picked that one? Why? Because did you actually work there? Literally the closest burger joint to this location that I can think of. (laughs) You just sub in like McDonald's. Yeah, Yeah, like computer voice. I worked in a. McDonald's. McDonald's. Your uh, computer uh, voice is locked in. It's locked McDonald's. in. McDonald's. <laughs> oh, no. So your kitchen analogy. Yeah. And in food, like, and in kitchens, it's one of the oldest industries. And most chaotic. It's prone to chaos. For that reason, these really nice kitchens are crazy structured. Right. So what you're saying, like, yeah, there's a chef and there's a sous chef. And everybody else shuts their mouth. Right. Just do as you're told. Or you're out. Right. Even the coolest kitchen on earth that's working at a high level, that's the way that it is. You don't ask questions. You don't talk. The reason why that makes sense to me is what I've seen in F1 Press, in Drive to Survive, in other little bits and pieces, that there are these roles but there's also these guys that kind of hop in where they want to. Like team principals do ego moves. They overrule people. There's people like Helmut Marco who are right. co- who come and whisper in somebody's ear. Or Verstappen's dad. Or Verstappen's dad. It's like, dad. get out of here. There's politics. And pressure. From that angle, it makes sense to me that a strategist might have more than just his plan in his ear and that things get screwed up. Isn't that yeah. what happened with the Mercedes double stack? Yeah, I mean that that was that shouldn't have been Toto making that call, but it was his call and he screwed it up. Yeah, I'm I, I or I'm, something. Yeah, I'm like I'm I'm vaguely remembering, but I do believe he was a little bit more radioactive that race than usual that season. Fascinating, yeah. fascinating strategies. Interesting to think about, and then as you watch races to kind of predict what's going to happen and trying to understand what they're doing with their undercuts and outlaps and things. It's it's kind of fun. shifting gears we have a listener question oh yeah thank you guys (laughs) for sending us um this comes from henry wallace we found him on our instagram (laughs) he was hiding in our messages um he has two questions the first one is am i the only english guy to be a bona fide haas fan oh my he's he's a legend (laughs) henry is my i'm a big fan of henry yeah already yeah I think we can officially say you are the first yeah. Haas fan of <laughs> first English UK. Haas. Fan. I yeah. think the ratio of English Haas fans to American any British team fans, yeah, is huge. Like it is a <laughs> we're very, bridging a gap here. Very one-sided ratio. Yeah, there's like a million 
Yeah. <laughs> and there's not a lot of Haas fans. So. Yeah, I think we can officially knight him the first <laughs> English Haas fan. It's an American nice. knighting. It doesn't mean as much if we do it with a French fry. It's way, way funner than that crap yeah. the Queen does. Yeah. So. Her Majesty. And his question is, if there was one thing you would change about Haas and F1, what would it be? Ooh. Oh, the, the wheels, the speed, just fast. <laughs> Sounds scary. It's really loud. If, yeah. It's, Jason. I don't like it being scary loud yeah, it's loud it's can we just... get a muffler on there yeah it's loud it's so fast <laughs> <laughs> i can barely see him go by uh, i just want to see those drivers yeah so we get a map <laughs> we get a magic wand it's yeah. like uh with whatever we want gandalf Anything has come want. down with his bag of fairy <laughs> dust from yeah. where where is he coming down off of sauron's to harry potter and he's just airy. Or the if you could change one Mount thing Doom. about <laughs> I thought about this because it's a good question. It is a great yeah, question. Yeah, we could um, yeah, speculate <laughs> got, a lot of I things. I got my answer. What's your answer? What would you change? You know, I this is so not the sport for me in one way. It's totally okay. my sport in all ways except for one, which is the f- damn rules. <laughs> <laughs> They're so structured. It's so... Everybody has to fit in this tiny box. F1 is what it is because of those rules. F1 is the rules. Right. I'm over it now, but especially early on in becoming a fan, mm-hmm. it was one thing that I'm like, man, it'd be so cool to see somebody show up on track one week with something wild. Like they added another spoiler. They put a rocket engine on okay. the back. Or just like, yeah. to me, mm-hmm. as somebody who's, just loves cars and engineering that that's something that would be so so fun to see obviously f1 is what it is because of the rules but that would be cool a little a little uh, more a little more a little more fudge room on a few different things maybe like when mercedes introduced das that that didn't get removed like three you know two races later Mm. that we got to see what das looks like for a whole season or we got to see what it looks when they yeah. they stick a little bit of some sort of magic juice in the yeah. engine. and That's funny. I thought about it. And mine is almost exact opposite of that. I thought I would like to see what Formula One would be like if all the cars were equal. So not even having like oh. different power units. Like some of these American like series. Indy car. Yeah. I would love to have a definite who is the best driver. See, that's interesting because we're both saying the same thing about two different entities. Yeah. I'm saying like, who's got the best who's the engineers? Most creative engineers. What's interesting to you is who's the actual yeah. best driver. Yeah. And that's equally, that's very, very interesting because to me Because there's always too. that asterisk of like, ooh, Lewis, he has seven championships, but was it him or the car? Yeah. And playing the middle guy here, I really do think that like you guys have both talked about exactly why Formula One is where it is. Mm -hmm. And I will say that in years past that it has been too engineering heavy and not driver heavy enough and that we are heading into the first era that shows a little bit more driver. Mm. How interesting. But But something that I love about the 22 car is that if you split the Ferrari and the Red Bulls down the middle and look at them side by side. How is it that Carlos Sainz and Sergio Perez set the exact same lap at Monaco during qualifying? That was crazy. It's insane. Those two cars could not be more different. And they set identical laps during qualifying. To me, like that is why Formula One is so incredible is because it's such a good mixture of the two. But but I do think that there's elements that could change and improve in these areas. But I love hearing what you both have to say here. It's interesting to hear that it has been like engineering heavy for 50 years or it's almost 70, 65 years. And now it is kind of becoming more driver centric. Yeah. Yeah. The needle gets moved by the drivers. Right. And that's the hope. I think that a lot of these manufacturers still love the opportunity to make something that's going to, again innovate and change and push in a direction that nobody can even see it's a little scary for f1's future though because on the same hand if those rules just constrict so tight around those cars that these big money car manufacturers don't feel like they can move the needle on manufacturing side then you start to get people getting out Right. Because, say, Mercedes is looking at it in 10 years and they're like, even if we threw all this money at it, we're going to get a couple tenths every lap out. And it's like, 
Are we going to stand out? Is this? I think that I'm listening to the engineer at Williams and not the engineers in Brackley at Mercedes. And here's why I'm going to explain What does that that mean? No, just because of that statement. So I think that Formula One will always find a way because you're talking the most brilliant minds and the best money, like the most money to sink into that category. Formula One will find a way. It will. In Jeff Goldblum's voice. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I I really do think that because the best minds and the best teams, that's what they're constantly doing. Even though the rules are so constrictive, everyone feared heading into 22 that the car would just be an Indy car, that they would all look the same. And then you get the Ferrari and the Red Bulls and they look so vastly different Mm. and the theory is so different, yet they're having equal lap times. So I think that that's where the sport evolves. It continues to grow and it's always finding that Mm. loophole in the legal way that you can and then exploiting it. My thing I would change about Haas is their merch. Haas has very boring merch. They have like one style of t-shirt and one hat. I would change the Velcro on the hat. Give yeah. me a snapback. Come on, guys. I think Velcro? in the next, in the coming months, that yeah. we should put together a campaign to get Max to be their merch guy. Yeah. Max just comes up with dope stuff <laughs> and would make an amazing like merch representative in chief. That sounds good. Okay, I'm down with that. Change, Mike. Yes, you haven't given us anything. I'm sorry. I'll do a quick answer. Yeah, Mr. Wallace needs an answer. In my opinion, the first thing that I would change about Formula One is the way that the race director has such jurisdiction and such like, I have the last say. Mm. A few years ago, we we saw Sebastian Vettel run across the grass in Canada and they gave him a penalty and they took the win away from him. He finished first Abs- place. Absurd. And they gave him a penalty and all Lewis had to do was stay within five seconds of Sebastian to win the race. <laughs> it's an iconic piece of footage but, and we can share this on Instagram, but... Sebastian picks up the pylon for first or for second and moves it in front of Lewis's car and picks up first and sets it where his car should be and then walks into the FIA office and took instead a of going the to desk. The, the podium because he was so mad that they took it away from him. Yeah, but mm-hmm. metaphorical dump on the desk. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good answer. Good answer. But yeah, so that would be the thing that I would change about F1 is kind of how the race director works. The thing that I would change about Haas is that I just I just want them to have results. Mm. I just want them to be able to deliver results. So whether that's better strategy, whether that's a slight improvement or tweak in the car, or just the drivers to have a little better luck. Well, we have a possible upgrades package coming soon from Haas. Yeah. Hopefully they get on that strategy. So maybe you get your wish. Yeah. Maybe uh, Gandalf will grant Harry his wish tonight. <laughs> well, and I, it should be noted that we claimed a double points finish for Monaco and we could not have been further... From we should claim. Yeah. We should claim more DNFs. Yeah. So this week, this next race, we're gonna double DNF. Promise low deliver. Over deliver. Yeah. Over deliver. Um. Thanks for your question. If you have great questions, questions, yeah, great question. If you have questions, email us Dos Haas Boys or go on Instagram Haas.Boys. Um. Send us a question. We love answering them. Thank you so much for sending it in. Closing off for the night, I think Mike had some F1 news that we wanted to go over quickly before we finish off our episode. Quickly, what was announced just today, we're recording this on Tuesday, which is a day later than normal. Um, Sergio Perez signed a two-year extension. Max. To Red Bull. (laughs) It is Max's fault. (laughs) Sergio Perez signed a two-year long extension contract with Red Bull. Okay. And... When does Pierre announce that he's leaving the Red Bull family? To go anywhere. Because at this point, that basically rules Albon and Pierre Gasly out of the seat for Red Bull for any foreseeable future for two years. And by then, there's something better will come along. There's going to be some new young buck that Christian's obsessed with. Right. Interesting, interesting point. Some new young butt that Christian's (laughs) obsessed with. He loves butts. Okay, very interesting, very interesting. I just want Pierre to stop dreaming about Red Bull. I I mean, genuinely, I think that that's what he has to do from here. He has to move on. And I know that he's seen Daniel's career be a bit rocky since doing that, so he has to be tactical in what he does next. Sure. And speaking of Daniel, that's my next transition. Zach Brown's comments about Daniel this weekend were interesting to me. Yeah. And the reason that I find it interesting is because... A, no one is scrutinizing Lewis Hamilton. No one is scrutinizing Sainz. Nobody's criticizing Leclerc for not being immediately up to snuff for the car spec. 
because there's so much adapting in style to how the new car handles. You know, science has been talked about, but he re-signed a deal with Ferrari, so it's like not even a big deal. Mm. And so where Daniel is right now, I find it interesting that they're being so pressure-driven on him. Where it's a brand new car. It's a brand new car and we're only a few races in. So I don't know what kind of power play that is because Mm. I also think that it would just be a huge mistake to let Daniel go. But uh, we'll just have to see what the future holds there. Seems like he's good under pressure. He's a race car driver. He has a mentality to do it. Yeah, it would be fun to see him just race. like start crushing it. Ultimately, what I was noticing this weekend is that the discussion around the seats in Formula One seems to be hot topic right now. And there is a lot of talent in limbo at, of people who are dying to get into the sport and are racing in other disciplines to try to figure out their time until they get into the sport. Mm-hmm. I think that that's going to increase in volume as we get deeper into the season and we'll start hearing where people are actually going to land. You were talking about Schumacher going to... Oh yeah, Mick was linked to a potential move to Aston Martin and that Sebastian was being rumored to plan on retirement. Okay, so Sebastian retires, Schumacher goes to Aston Martin, Ricardo comes to Haas. Yeah. Well, and then there was there's also hey. the uh, the open <laughs> seat heard it at Williams. First, there's there's so many opportunities and a lot of seats that look like they're going to be opening up. Latifi's been already. Not Latifi's seat. Uh, what do we do without Plan L? Plan L. They'd have to print out all new strategy books <laughs> if Latifi left. <laughs> Ferrari, they're already behind on their homework, so let's not throw a curveball like that. Based off of IndyCar, so I know it's not our normal discipline, but maybe we can gear this towards Mike Parker. Definitely jump in on this. All right. I noticed this today. I was looking at IndyCar schedules with my friend Kevin, and we noticed on their website, terrible user experience. They don't list the places where the tracks are. They just, the titles of the tracks. Wow. So we were like, "Mm, what's the closest track to us? Couldn't figure it out for the life of us. (laughs) So (laughs) it's not important. No, it's not. Just go. I want to give you the name of the Grand Prix for Uh-oh. the IndyCar. Uh-oh. You tell me the state that it's in. Whoa. Parker, maybe you can join in on this. Yeah, okay. This is going to be brutal. I, have I mean, no this idea. is this is easy one off the bat. Uh, Chevrolet Grand Prix. <laughs> <laughs> Chevrolet Detroit. Detroit Grand Prix. would be the, yeah, I was going to say Detroit. Okay, well, then this is, <laughs> I'm well, not going to give you okay, well, easy balls anymore. General Motors is and Ford are both based in Detroit, so one of them would probably want that. Okay. That's my thought. And Ford Next. is not an IndyCar. So. Next one. Sancio Grand Prix at Road America. Oh, Road America. Oh, where is Road America? Is Legit, it, they do Ohio. not give you any. It's Ohio. Also, I don't know how to look this up. <laughs> Do you not know the Wait, answer? So you don't know? <laughs> I think Road America is in... I, I want to say Road America is potentially in Georgia. Okay, you're probably right. All right, next one. <laughs> I don't think Wait, I Wait, should I be looking these up? Yeah, we'll quiz Mike. Me and Parker. Tag team okay. Mike. So, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Okay. <laughs> okay. I was so far so. off. So... All but right. Road America is a really cool course. The next one that doesn't have a name attached to a uh, place attached to it, it's the hyvdeals.com 250. <laughs> well, here's the other part of this of why this is difficult, just for the record. Yeah. These sponsors change annually. Okay. So sorry about okay, that. Okay. They, so they need help in a lot of areas <laughs> at IndyCar. Iowa. Iowa. Oh, so it's an oval. Okay. Next one. The HYV salute to farmers for 300. <laughs> they know their audience, baby. Oh, man. Salute to farmers. Yeah. It's got to be Nebraska. I'm just kidding. Uh, Kansas. The next one's getting a bit better, so don't worry. Iowa. Iowa again. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Gallagher Grand Prix. Uh, it's in, it's, is Oasis the sponsor of this? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, or watermelons. Watermelons. <laughs> uh, that one is the Gallagher 350 is at Indianapolis Speedway, but is the road course? It is at the Indianapolis Speedway. Wow, okay. Next one, Big Machine Music City Grand Prix. Nashville. Okay. Big Machine's a country music label. Bomberito. That that built Taylor Swift. Okay. 
she bought Big Machine as well, so she owns it. And the race cars. Man, she's such a hero. She is. <laughs> Bomberito Automotive Group 500. Auto Group. Bomberito. It's got to be California. This, this is race? the last one. So Bomberito. Bomberito Auto Group 500 sounds like California. I'm guessing somewhere in California, California Speedway. It's at the Worldwide Technology Raceway. Which is Second. not in California. Sub question. The Worldwide Technology Raceway. Like Parker this is knows where it is. So it's like, don't long. look as I look. Isn't this annoying? Just trying to figure out where the track is if you wanted to go see it. So imagine going to Indy's website, trying to figure out Illinois. a race. You want to go to a race. You want to see IndyCar? You have no idea which state it's in. These guys need a Bernie. So anyway. These guys need to get Bernie'd. <laughs> yeah. Eccleston needs to step in. Yeah. Well, thanks for, t- for participating in the dumb IndyCar Yay! track quiz. All right. I got one right. You got all of them right in your heart. <laughs> in my heart. <laughs> thanks for listening to the Hoss Boys this week. Join us next week for all making the dreams come true for you and yours i can't wait for that (laughs) oh goody do that one more time without a chair squeak don't tell me what to do i do it again we almost lost it earlier (laughs) we almost lost it the first time f1 for you and yours now get the hell out of here (laughs) turn off the podcast it's over that's the hoss tagline (laughs) f1 for you and yours now get the hell out of here Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Change one thing about Haas. Give Gunter that accent. Get on over here, Mick. You crashed the car again. You crashed on the old yellow metal and everything. I just been boot licking. German boy, you get on over here. I swear I'm going to kick your butt so far to Timbuktu. You'll never see him never hide or tail ever again. Papa, I hit a wet spot on the track. That's too damn bad. Okay, so we didn't invite Roman to this dinner party. And uh, he knows why. <laughs> Nobody needs to tell him. I'll tell him. <laughs> it's just Macho Man Randy Savage. That's one small podcast. Plan L. Plan L.